Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Adam Lewandowski. He's a university research lecturer and British Heart Foundation research fellow. Uh, He's at the Oxford Cardiovascular Clinic Clinical Research Facility, CCRF, uh, the Division of Cardiovascular Medicine. Um, He's from the U.S. He sounds like it at least, or, or Canada. Um, but he's over in England. So, Anna, thanks for coming. Hi, thank you. Yeah, so I, I'm Canadian. Uh, okay, so Canadian. Yeah, um, but I moved to the University of Oxford uh, in 2009 to uh, come take my uh, start my PhD studies. So I've been here for almost 11 years now. Oh, wow. So what's the focus of your work? Uh, so the the main area of my work is looking at uh, the effect of pregnancy complications, so uh, specifically related to things like preterm birth, so being born early, uh, and how that affects um, heart development and the interaction with uh, other systems, organs, so things like the brain, liver, uh, and blood vessels, and lungs, and how all of those uh, things are changed within people born preterm. So uh, preterm birth, is it divided into like very early preterm, late preterm, um, or is it just one monolithic thing? No, exactly. So there are, there are uh, different categories, um, largely based on gestational age. So normal gestation would be between, uh, we say 40 weeks is your full term, uh, but that can actually, the full term definition actually ranges from 37 to 42 weeks gestation. Anything less than 37 weeks uh, gestation is considered preterm. You're absolutely right. So there's different categories. So if you are 32 to 30 or 32 to 36 weeks plus six days, uh, you're considered moderate to late preterm. If you're 28 to 31 plus six days uh, weeks gestation, you're uh, considered very preterm. And if you're then less than 28 weeks gestation, you're considered extremely preterm. Are babies able to uh, survive if they're born uh, super early? Like what's what's the earliest that you've seen that it's possible for a baby to uh, survive and develop? So the earliest uh, that I've seen within like a hospital setting has been 22 weeks um, and that's becoming more and more common uh, actually. Uh, so I know some centers actually in the US, there was a study uh, published out of Iowa that actually showed that even 22 to 23 weekers uh, I believe the figures are about 60 to 70% uh, survival now within that uh, cohort of individuals, which is pretty impressive, actually, because we wouldn't have seen that, say, 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I would say the uh, the survival rates in general for preterms are now up in the 90% uh, across all the gestations. Um, yeah. So when does a baby's heart develop? you know, throughout gestation and what, what features of the heart develop when? Yeah. So I think intuitively you would think um, that that may not have a big effect. Cause if you actually, if you go back to like physiology, when we learn about 
development of organs. Actually, the heart's fairly early on. Um, so within the first weeks and actually uh, within the first couple of months, you already have by week seven, week eight, you already have that functioning uh, chambers and heartbeat uh, function like of the heart. Now, the reason why, uh, whereas with the, the brain, a lot of that developmental period is actually very late in gestation um, and that formation of the different components of the brain. But the reason why this uh, is important uh, and why prematurity affects the way the heart uh, is developing is because in the later periods of gestation, you actually, there is a big period, an important period of growth for the heart. So what we have is early on is something called hyperplasia. So that's when the cells are rapidly dividing uh, in order to expand the uh, myocardium, which is the heart muscle wall. Uh, and as then as you um, move towards later bits of uh, parts of gestation, that that you'll see the heart actually start to increase uh, several fold larger over those last weeks of gestation. But once you switch towards the outside environment, you have changes in, um, you have a big shift in the pressure and the flow around the time of birth. And then you have those pressure and flow changes outside of the uh, womb as well, because you're now faced with a situation where you have a, a, a functioning uh, pulmonary system, and you also have a high resistance systemic system, whereas inside the womb, you had that low resistance placenta. You've also got these shifts in oxygen tension and everything too. And what you see basically is that the cells change from that hyperplastic growth to a hypertrophic growth. So the individual cell size is actually increasing. Oh, so could a baby end up actually with a heart that's too large too early for their size if they're born prematurely? Um, because you're actually affecting what we don't tend to see that as much because what you're actually affecting is the, if you disrupt the amount of cell division, but you're increasing the actual individual cell sizes, uh, it may not be that the overall heart size increases. Uh, we actually see the opposite. We actually see, uh, that we have smaller internal cavity diameters and smaller, uh, actual functional diameters for, match gestational ages but then that you actually get a thickening of the wall i've heard uh i believe when someone has a heart attack or, or heart problems later on in life that's exactly what happens is you get you know part of the heart dies off and the remaining cells uh, in an attempt to cover everything become hypertrophic so I, I wonder uh babies that are born prematurely if later in life they have less reserve less cardiac reserve if they have heart problems because they have maybe fewer cells overall and they're hypertrophic already. Yeah. So this is one of the, so we call this kind of the, the, the reduction in cardiac endowment um, that they have. And what we've, the studies that I've been doing have kind of expanded from or gone across all the way from looking at kind of early fetal development of the heart, uh, largely in humans, but in collaboration with other groups that do work in animal models, um, but also looking once what happens in those first weeks to months in the postnatal period. So once they're neonates, infants, and I've, a lot of my PhD work was focused on the adult period uh, and looking at what those kind of long-term effects were just in terms of morphological changes. So things like structure and function volumes type things. Um, and what we've seen is that they do have these, uh, these 
distinct changes between the groups with may adversely affect them uh, in the longer term. The work since has that I've been doing uh, in my postdoc, which was uh, started in 2013, and now transitioned into um, my role as a my as a PI now running my own research team has been to try to link up uh, what's actually happening at a tissue level, what's actually happening to the heart when it's faced with physiological stress demands, so things like exercise stress, um, but also what's happening um, at a cellular level as well, and understanding how that heart development changes uh, throughout a life course. So we've actually followed some of these same individuals that have been seen early in life, uh, so during fetal and neonatal and infancy, uh, and are actually tracking them into childhood now. Um, And some of the findings that we've been seeing from uh, primarily in our uh, young adult studies is that when they are faced with that kind of stress response so when they are put into moderate to high intensity exercise levels you're exactly right what you brought up before is that they have this reduced functional reserve so we call it a myocardial functional reserve and they're less able to elevate the amount of uh, contractility of the heart and amount of blood volume needed uh, to meet the demands of the body well what about when a, a so when a baby is born prematurely in the incubator system What does this tell you about how to set the pressures, maybe the percentage of oxygen? Is there anything you can do to try to encourage the heart to continue more normal development instead of just going hypertrophic? Yeah, so I think um, that's still a remaining question, actually, is what is the best environment? And one of the challenges that we have is that uh, in a a very positive way, clinical medicine is advancing quite quickly. uh, And the absolute main thing to uh, remember is that what needs to be done in immediately clinical care to keep the babies alive is the most important thing as well. So understanding what's actually going to be uh, able to achieve that immediate benefit, but also uh, promote potentially long-term benefit or reduce long-term harm uh, has been a challenge um, that we can only right now look at in terms of a correlative manner. There are some studies now uh, investigating specifically the effects of different oxygen, uh, amount of oxygen exposure, um, different uh, ventilation parameters and things as well. Um, But the the challenge with those and what I am hoping for the future is that a lot of the follow-up that's being done is very short-term and what we're actually seeing is that we need follow-up into um, longer term. And I don't mean until elderly life. I mean, at least until childhood. Because coming back to that kind of risk of preterm born individuals, we are seeing from big epidemiological studies now that actually these these cardiac changes may be making them vulnerable already uh, in not just long term, but it may have immediate risk because we're actually seeing that they have an increased risk of heart failure early in life, so childhood, adolescence, and into young adulthood, um, and even by young adult life have increased risk of hypertension, uh, including higher uh, number of hypertensive medications, uh, even in their 20s. And they also have an increased risk of ischemic heart disease. What, what causes uh, babies to be born prematurely? Like, what are the main drivers of it? Um, so there's a number of different 
causes. So there's things that can be uh, familial. So you can have, I mean, genetic predisposition that may make you um, deliver preterm. One of the biggest antecedents to prematurity is actually uh, preeclampsia, which is a more severe form of a hypertensive pregnancy. Um, So that can uh, account for up to about 20% of uh, preterm births. Things like infection um, can also lead to preterm birth. And then you have other risk factors, including things like uh, obesity uh, and smoking as well. In general terms, what have you observed that's done, even without specifics, but generally, what what do you see that's done for the premature babies? So the main thing is uh, obviously maintaining um, appropriate, uh, so in in terms of monitoring and uh, maintaining their uh, lung function. Um, so things like uh, providing surfactant, um, but also providing oxygen to make sure that the the brain and body's needs are being um, met. Um, and the other aspect of that, of course, is is one of the struggles of early with preterm neonates is the fact that feeding is often quite challenging. Um, they're often very small, uh, so maintaining so providing parental nutrition. Uh, and providing appropriate feeding is an important uh, component of that. And of course, um, because they, of the immature system, physiological system, they're also more prone to infections as well. So kind of taking a prophylactic approach to that is also an appropriate component. And then what, so um, when a baby is premature, what happens to the heart, um, let's say in the first, you know, the, uh, what do you call the gap between the time the baby is born until it would normally be born, you know, let's say the 40 week mark, does that gap have a name? And if so, what happens to the heart in that time? And is that different from what happens to the heart after that? Let's say a baby's born at 30 weeks. And, yeah. you know, you said like full term, let's say it's just, I'm just going to say it's 40. I know it's a range, but so is that 10 week gap called anything? Um, and if so, well, whether or not it has a name or not, um, what happens to the baby's heart between week 30 and 40? And then what happens, you know, 40 and beyond? Is it different or does the same thing happen on the heart, whether the baby's born at 30 weeks or 40 weeks? Yeah, so that's a good question. So, I mean, in, in general, this is, it's called the kind of preterm postnatal uh, period. Um, and when, once they've reached kind of term gestation, so say you were born at 40 weeks, you would then say uh, term equivalent age of the preterm born individual once they reach, say, 42 weeks, which is 12 weeks postnatal, uh, would be what their term uh, equivalent age would be. That What happens during that period, we can, we can use some of the investigations that our, our own group, as well as others, have looked at in terms of looking uh, using, uh, say, uh, MRI and echocardiography, which have shown that the heart in that period undergoes very similar changes um, to what you would normally expect to happen later. And that includes the fact that you switch from a right heart dominant to a left heart dominant system. And again, that's to maintain the required demands for the lung system, uh, which is much lower resistance than say the, the systemic system, which is why the left ventricle remodels to be able to take over uh, that flow uh, through that system. Um, but again, what going back to the cellular shifts is we see that big shift in uh, hyperplasia to hypertrophy. So the way the cell is dividing to being more hypertrophic. 
the other aspect of that is that from a lot of this has been the our understanding of how the heart rate models has had to rely on uh, investigations from animal models. So studies in rats, sheep, and pigs have kind of been the main uh, ways of actually interrogating this. Uh, and the the big thing that's been found from that is that although there are these uh, so the cellular growth shift patterns, but there's also been changes in at the DNA level uh, in terms of nucleation as well, which is shown to have abnormal maturity uh, within the individual myocytes, um, but is also shown that with, outside of the individual myocytes, you also have uh, differences in the structural components of the heart. So the collagen content within the interstitial spaces um, which may be driven by pressure overload. Now, one of the things that uh, has been discussed as well is that a lot of these models can't mimic the full preterm birth conditions, um, which often involves things like inflammation, um, especially if you had underlying placental abnormalities, uh, which is common in things like preeclampsia, which I mentioned is on a major contributor to preterm birth. So if you have those, those changes as well, it's suspected that you're going to have more of this collagen deposition fibrotic uh, formation as well, um, which may make the heart uh, less compliant and less able to meet the demands uh, of the body as well. Uh, does the heart have a different shape? Uh, is it preferentially like thicker in one of the ventricles, for instance? Uh, you know, or does it look pretty close to what a normal heart looks like? Like how different are they? Yeah. So. Um, a lot of the, so our group has been largely using uh, MRI and we also use computational modeling. So we work closely with biomedical engineers in order to actually interrogate the 3D structure of the heart. And by young adulthood, what, we, what we've seen is that the, um, the ventricles are actually smaller internal cavity, similar external cavity, which is suggestive of an inward thickening of the muscle wall. Uh, and shorter ventricular lengths uh, as well. So, and this seems to be consistent with both ventricles, though we've seen greater changes in both the remodeling as well as the uh, amount of systolic functions, so the pumping function um, of the heart in the right side. One of the things that we believe this could be due to is the, um, it could be related to part of the the link with the pulmonary circulation. Uh, and we have published on this as well, but the this effect of with the pulmonary circulation seems to be more driven uh, in those that are at earlier gestations. The other, um, so in terms of looking across all of the different developmental stages, we just actually uh, on, in the, on the 7th of July, uh, meta-analysis uh, in pediatrics will be published um, from our, team that we've actually interrogated what is actually happening across all of the different key developmental stages. So uh, including neonates, infants, uh, children, adolescents, and young adults, and breaking them down to understand what is the actual uh, difference in cardiac parameters between preterm and term-born individuals. Now, what we've found in this from this actually is that many of the changes uh, that are seen into young adulthood actually start to emerge uh, in childhood, or sorry, in, in 
neonates. Um, so things like these smaller right ventricle and left ventricular uh, volumes, um, but also things like the reduction in right heart pump function, so systolic function, as well as the ability of the left heart uh, to relax and fill with blood, so diastolic function, um, which actually worsens with age as well. Uh, but we also showed that even from childhood into young adulthood, we have this accelerated rate uh, of hypertrophy of the heart. Uh, is there any protocol that um, you know kids can do to help strengthen their heart? You know, what if uh, they're put on like a light exercise program, you know, ongoing early for a long time? Does that is there anything that can be done? Because you know, perhaps they still have quite a bit of stem cells running around in them, and maybe the the heart can remodel if uh, if there's an intervention early enough. Yeah. It's a good point. So there's, I think, so you mentioned a little bit earlier about what some of the interventions are that normally happen in clinical practice um, early in life. So in those kind of first months. Um, But of course, like you said, the heart is continuously developing um, throughout life as well. So although this, there may be that really negative period uh, early on, negative in the sense of uh, abnormal development early on uh, with these individuals, there must be a way that we can uh, at least improve cardiovascular function uh, throughout development as well. And I think you, you, your mention there of things like exercise has been a primary focus for us, actually. So look, looking into lifestyle interventions like nutrition and diet um, and exercise to kind of promote uh, a heart-healthy lifestyle and reduce that risk um, is still under investigation. So we're actually running a, uh, we just finished um, our last visit for, uh, and just performed the data lock for our randomized control trial uh, in young adults of preterm and term born individuals that went through a uh, 16 week exercise intervention. Um, so these were people that were uh, either born preterm or term uh, had elevated or stage one uh, hypertension, uh, elevated blood pressure or stage one hypertension um, were relatively sedentary at the beginning. And the intervention actually involved uh, three three exercise sessions per week with a personal trainer uh, for that 16-week period. Uh, and uh, it was with intensities about 60 to 80% of maximum uh, for the aerobic training for both from four, for roughly 45 minutes per session. So relatively intense, but very uh, aerobically stable uh, exercise intervention. I know that's great. Perhaps other things like, uh, you know, low impact things like meditation um, may work. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess there's a lot of things that could be, could be tried. Yeah. Is so it- I, one of the, we, um, the, the, the good thing with this field is that I've, um, and to mention, going back to the meta-analysis, is there? We actually identified since 2013, was which is when our first uh, big paper came out in circulation, uh, describing the left heart, and then a few months later, published in circulation again, describing right heart changes. Um, since then, what we've ident- what we found is actually there's 32 unique uh, stu- research studies that have been done, uh, and that's what we've described in the uh, meta-analysis. And I think the the good thing about that is that there's more and more people researching this area um, to be able to understand what's going on 
um, and taking different approaches to understand potential mechanisms as well. But what it also means is that there's now wider discussions about between uh, different allied health professionals, scientists, uh, and also with patients and participants to understand what are the best ways of actually intervening as well and, and what can be done in terms of raising awareness uh, within this space. What are parents told? I mean, are they, is there enough confidence in what, what may happen that parents are told, you know, hey, your, your child will be, have a harder time with, with hypertension and may have uh, you know, more heart problems later in life. And um, if there's clinical trials to be done, is it very difficult to do because you know, there's kids involved or is it um, easier to do because the parents will say, yes, I want to see if there's anything we can do to help my child. So you know, what's the situation there? Um, so I think in general, the what we've found is that actually a lot of preterm born people and their parents are very are very willing to take part in research studies and are very wanting to get more information uh, as well. And I think that's a, a good thing. I think the other thing to assure people is that just because you were preterm and you you have some of these uh, you may have some of these cardiac changes it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to immediately have heart failure or heart attack or uh, any of those things as well. Uh, It just may increase your risk, but those things are still fairly rare in the uh, early life period. So if we look at heart failure from non-congenital causes, it's less than one in a hundred thousand. So even if you have uh, what we see in the extremely preterms is a 17 fold increased risk, which sounds a huge, it's still a fairly rare uh, occurrence uh, within that uh, population. So providing that realistic information and uh, context, I think is important. Um, but I also think that having that engagement early on, like I said, is uh, an important component in tor- terms of um, being able to incorporate those that healthy lifestyle components and ways of monitoring. So if hypertension tension is developing, for instance, uh, which is one of the the most widely reported uh, cardiovascular changes in preterms. If that uh, is is developing, isn't being managed with lifestyle interventions, having that monitoring to be able to then intervene uh, from other angles, such as pharmacological uh, means, is a, a positive. The fact that you've had that more continuous monitoring and being able to catch those things earlier to prevent long term. Um, more serious cardiovascular events. Okay. Adam, what's the best way for people to uh, find out more? And if, um, you know, unfortunately they see that they're going to have a, a child that's going to be preterm, um, you know, what are some places they can, uh, they can go to for information you and, and beyond you, where can they go? Um, so I think the, uh, so there's, there are some very good uh, websites that talk about uh what happens, say, in the or organizations that talk about what happens in terms of the immediate uh, stages of preterm, but also in terms of uh, long-term as well research, uh, especially bigger research studies, which have um, provided more concrete evidence. Uh, so things like March of Dimes always has a lot of uh, good information on that um, space, uh, in the UK, there's also several charities, so, so Bliss is one here. Um, but I think th- those kind of things, so going 
to the like to March of Dimes. Uh, even the WHO provides uh, quite a bit of information uh, as well. But I think the the big thing and the hope is as well, um, especially talking to a lot of my clinical colleagues, is that. GPs and other clinicians become more and more familiar with this as a potential risk factor uh, and start to uh, be a resource for that information as well. Very good. Uh, Adam, thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. And, uh, this is an important issue. You know, these, these poor babies that are they're born early, at least they're able to survive. But uh, it'd be nice to, for them to live normal lives as possible. So you're doing a good thing. Thank you for coming. Great. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.